people like Dr. Maurer and um, Jordan Peterson came to recognize that for all our psychological sophistication, we seem to be unable in the modern period to tell ourselves stories of sufficient profundity, sufficient depth, to really help us wrestle with the greatest challenges of what it means to be a human being. We lost the vocabulary of evil. You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou... Will you join me for a word of prayer? Gracious Lord, especially in this season, we remember that we are not to trust in our own strength, but rather in yours. Lord, we pray that in this time, as we reflect upon your word, that all that is said is only of you. I pray that anything that is not of you be like the dust of which we are made, and be blown away and forgotten, but that all that is of you take deep root within us and grow to full flower, that your name may be glorified and we may begin to know what true life is. And these things I ask for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, today in our Gospel reading, we see Jesus doing what we will never do. And that is conquer temptation completely and perfectly. But it's in the first reading that we learn about the nature of temptation. That Genesis story is the archetypal story. It is the deep primordial story of what it means to be a human being and to fail and fall into evil. It's a story about the very nature of temptation itself. And it's been interesting to me that over the last year and a half, two years, to watch the meteoric rise to fame of Jordan Peterson. If you don't know who this is, he is a psychologist, used to teach at Harvard, um, but he's really become probably the foremost public intellectual of our time. Um, In the last year, he's been to over a hundred cities in Europe and North America and Australia, not only giving lectures, but packing out arenas with thousands and thousands of people. It's like a rock concert coming to listen to him reflect on the nature of life and our human condition. And it's interesting to me because in the 30 years before he was famous, he spent all his time studying what we might call these archetypal stories, predominantly the stories of the book of Genesis. Because as a psychologist, like the late Abraham Maurer, who used to be the head of the American Psychological Association, he came to realize 
that in a century, the 20th century, that saw the worst human depravity, the worst bloodshed of any century in history, it was precisely at that moment that we had been robbed of the language we needed, the concepts we needed to wrestle with what we had wrought upon ourselves. Because you see, the language that comes from psychology, the language of pathology, of health and disease, is a poor, and in fact it's an insufficient substitute for the language of good and evil. People like Dr. Maurer and um, Jordan Peterson came to recognize that for all our psychological sophistication, we seem to be unable in the modern period to tell ourselves stories of sufficient profundity, sufficient depth, to really help us wrestle with the greatest challenges of what it means to be a human being. We lost the vocabulary of evil. And so people like Dr. Peterson have been digging back into these stories. Now, he's not a person of faith. He's just a psychologist. But he's recognizing that in a story like the Genesis story, there is more depth than we have in our modern stories. More that we can use to understand what we're going through as human beings and make better choices and maybe push back the evil in the world. So what do we learn about the nature of evil from this story in the book of Genesis. First of all, we learn that the shift away from good and towards evil is never a big shift in the beginning. It starts with the subtlest little move. The conversation we have with ourselves that begins with these words, Did God really say... Did the one who wrought the world, if you don't believe in God, nature, if you believe in God, nature's God. Are there really fixed boundaries for us? Fixed boundaries for our behavior? Does the universe, does God of the universe, does he presume to tell us who we are and who we should be? See, we ask that question because we already know the answer, but we want a little wiggle room. There's something else we want besides the answer we know is right. And so we start this conversation with ourselves to wedge open a little room in our reasoning. It's a small betrayal to step away from the truth, but it cascades and it grows and it finally ends exactly where our story always ends and where this story takes us immediately it ends in the desire to be God ourselves. To say, I know what's best for me. I know what I want. And I'm going to make it happen for me. I want to choose my own destiny and I will not be constrained by any so-called rules. Because that's the nature of the temptation. It's not to eat a fruit. It's to be as God. In the end, we're always a betrayer against nature and nature's God when we choose for ourselves what we will be rather than receiving what we are as a gift. And this willingness to betray God is what we testify to when throughout most of the year we say these words at confession. 
that we are in bondage to sin and cannot free ourselves. We're testifying against ourselves. We're testifying that this is who we are. We're in bondage. Not we will not free ourselves from sin, but we cannot free ourselves from sin. The point of liturgy is not to make us say words over and over again till we're bored with them. It's to say them over and over and over again till we can believe them. Because we'd rather believe a story about ourselves that we are conquering heroes, ever taking the next mountain and moving forward. The liturgy helps us remember who we are and our willingness to, at the drop of a hat, turn from the God who loves us and who set boundaries for our own safety and well-being and the well-being of those around us. But confession is not the only thing we rehearse in liturgy every Sunday. Here's another prayer you may recognize. It comes after communion. We say, Almighty God, you gave your Son both as a sacrifice for sin and as a model of the godly life. Today, in our Gospel reading, Jesus models for us what it would look like to overcome temptation. First, what we see is the Word of God in His mind and upon His lips. But we also see the Word of God on the devil's lips. He's quoting Scripture when he comes back at Jesus. And so we also learn from Jesus that whenever Scripture is quoted in such a way as to lead us away from obedience to the living God, that is the voice of Satan. And as my brother, who's um, uh, an alcoholic and, and got sober through the ministry of Alcoholics Anonymous, there's a saying in Alcoholics Anonymous, when you dance with the devil, he always leads. We want to fight temptation the way Jesus did. Not because we will ever be perfectly successful. We have to cling to the first part of that prayer that God gave him as a sacrifice for sin. So we don't get discouraged by our persistent failure. That's the gospel. Not that we'll ever achieve, but rather that Christ has achieved all that is needed for us. But what that means is that we never need to be downhearted about our failures and can go back to trying again and again trying a new tactic, learning from Jesus how to overcome sin so that one temptation at a time, one small little victory at a time, more and more every day, we can become like Him until finally we are beyond the reach of temptation in His kingdom. That's the message of Scripture that no matter how smart you are, you cannot have without faith. Because, see, you can learn moral lessons from Scripture by being a psychologist, but without faith you cannot trust in He who is the author of Scripture, in Jesus Christ, who can rescue us out of our sins and set us free to live a life unburdened by the guilt of the past. Set us free to enter into the kingdom of God by the blood of His cross. Will you join me for a word of prayer to that God? Blessed Lord, we thank you that you have called us to this place this morning to hear these words again so that maybe hearing them again and again they'll get 
through our thick skulls and remind us who you really are about your desire to save. Even as you cannot flex the rules, but we bear the consequences of them when we break them. Lord, you take away those consequences in the cross, so help us never to question, did you really say, I can't do this or I must do that? But rather trust that you want what's best for us and obey. Not hoping to gain your favor, but because we know we have your favor. These things we pray in the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ, whom you sent to save us and redeem us and lead us into your kingdom. Amen. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Be thou my best thought in the day and the night. Waking or sleeping, thy presence, my life.